Niall Ogden-Smith is something of a key player in the Paralympic movement. One of the reasons he's an asset to the cause is because he genuinely loves sport and understands its value to people. It can make your day, save your day, and sometimes much more. As a young boy raised in Lebanon, Niall and his friends were always so keen to play together. Even as civil war gripped the country, life carried on. This positive outlook shaped him and his family around him. When he was 22, a bad car accident would put him in a wheelchair. He accepted this blow stoically. But this is a story about his remarkable determination to recover as much as he possibly could to get as fit, healthy and mentally strong as he was able to ensure his ongoing independence to thrive, not just survive. How can you start on such a trail? Well, Niall's answer was to train towards and then race in a marathon. Several marathons, in fact. The 26.2 miles were incredibly tough for him nearly 20 years ago, but he succeeded. He remains on the trail, and today, golf is the sport that gets him up early in the morning. Niall loves playing it and finds golf highly challenging, physically and mentally, relishing the learning process. We all need to keep learning. From the first shot he took, age 43, golf had hooked in another player. We talked to Niall Ogden-Smith from his home in Bonn, Germany, where he lives with his wife Kelly and young son Jude. Work-wise, he's looking forward to the next Paralympics, a professional journey which for him started at the remarkable Olympics in London back in 2012, and finds himself today as Head of Partnership Services for the International Paralympic Committee. But London, that was his big opportunity. Very big games and a good one to kind of start my my journey with working in the Paralympic movement. I was working in a a different functional area, so a different department within the games, as I am today working on the partnership and sponsorship side. So I started because of my um, background in knowing Arabic. So I was basically taking care of and handling and managing the teams coming from the Middle East, specifically the Arabic speaking ones, of course. So I handled, uh, I think, about 11 National Olympic Committees um, on the NCS side. That's how it started for me. Niall is second-generation Lebanese after his British grandfather settled in the Middle East, hence the surname. I was uh, born in the late 70s, so uh, right at the start of the Lebanese Civil War. So it was uh, growing up, you know, uh, some days you went to school and some days you didn't because of the the, the, the situation there. So for the first, uh, f- let's say, 15 years of, of childhood, it was kind of uh, trying to stay out of out of trouble there. Um, and But when you're at that young of an age, you know, you're protected by your parents so, and you're not involved your, yourself in it. But of course, it's, it's around you. And uh, sport was, of course, even, you know, uh, with, uh, with civil war and any type of conflict, uh, life does continue to some extent. You still go to school, you still do sport. In the quieter times, he would be sure to play with his friends. With Beirut lying on the Mediterranean coastline, but closer to the mountains... There were water sports, school team sports, he loved basketball, but also skiing and snowboarding. Pre-accident, so I had my accident when I was in my 20s. So pre-accident, definitely, my main focus was on uh, skiing and snowboarding um, from a very early age, from the age of maybe four. 
and then uh, in the summer, of course, everything which is uh, in in the water. So whether it was uh, scuba diving, water skiing, snorkeling, fishing, and then uh, yeah, with with the friends, it was more uh, from school. It was more basketball, I guess. Nell became a graduate of the American University of Beirut after studying business administration. The car accident happened when he was just 22 years old. I had just graduated from university and I was 22 years old and uh, was involved in a car accident. And uh, uh, because of that, I uh, sustained an injury to my spinal cord at the thoracic ninth level, which is right around the belly button height it was uh yeah one of those accidents that just happens um and uh, unfortunate and uh but you survive it and then you uh you you start coping and start thinking about what lies in front of you after you know after going through a bit of a, a setback uh, to say the least now I was conscious in the moments after the crash and just a day or so later he understood many of the issues facing him in his life ahead uh, yeah, I knew immediately. I mean, I uh, I'd lost consciousness for a couple of seconds, but w- woke up out of the car. So I was ejected from the front passenger seat. And when I woke up, I, I kind of knew exactly that uh, it was something related to my spine as I couldn't pull myself out properly. Um, so I had to wait for some, some time before the ambulance arrived because it wasn't up in the mountains. It wasn't a shock, of course, when, uh, when, when the doctors came into my room uh, a few days after my surgery and told me that... Uh, uh, that was the case and I, I uh, you know it's not that you know you instantly accept it but uh, definitely it wasn't a su- surprise news uh, to me. The first surgery took 12 hours and later a second surgery helped stabilize his spine with steel rods and other hardware. Things were, were moving in the right direction so you know, you had the occasional, you know, like uh, infections and, and lung kind of trouble, but I didn't have major set up, setbacks. So we st- started straight away with my brother, uh, my friends and my family started to think about the next step, which was uh, the rehabilitation phase. Uh, so I did my second surgery uh, a couple of weeks later and then uh, started to think about rehabs. And back in the late 90s in Beirut, uh, there weren't any good rehab so we started straight away to look at the possibilities of going somewhere else uh, beyond Lebanon so we started looking at Europe and the US and uh, this is this was kind of the, the second phase of of the accident let's say but it was kind of the the approach to rehabilitation that I was as a 22 year old that I was looking for and that my brother mainly was looking for for me being active so it was kind of how do I get back into the gym? How do I, you know, start exercising? How do I, you know, use whatever function I have to maximize that? Niall talks of wanting to thrive rather than simply survive and explains a hunger to make a real progress. First to England, where he spent a few weeks at Stoke Mandeville before finding just the right place in Atlanta, USA, the Shepherd Center being a specialist in spinal cord injuries. Rehab in some way shouldn't be looking like a hospital, you know, even though it, there are definitely medical needs in a rehab, you're straight out of surgery, you're, you're, even your wounds haven't healed up yet. So, but it, to some extent, Shepard, when I got there, it had that mix of a, being a gym and a, a sort of connected to a hospital, which is quite on, at the doorsteps of Shepard Center. Uh, so it had everything from a, a pool to a basketball court to 
teaching you how to how to drive again or how to uh, you know just leave the premise as well and then uh, premises and go to like a movie theater and experience how to buy your own ticket and to get seated and to ask for help when it's needed and to kind of go through the whole um, experience of living so they even provided you with a small apartment whereby you had to prove that you could kind of live as independently as possible uh, so it takes you through the whole kind of uh, day-to-day life aspect, which is really important uh, in independent living. In his early 20s, Nal was thinking of work and his friends and family. So it was back to Beirut, where he worked in the food business for a while. This was all helping the feeling of independence at perhaps the most challenging time of his life. And of course, going back to Beirut is when things were a bit, of course, difficult after the accident at the beginning. But it's when I reached out to sport to help me in my adaptation phase, because this is when things really hit you at the beginning. No, it's when you go back to the normal life, but life is not normal again. It's not normal anymore. It's changed in, in, many, in many fronts. So the first couple of years were, of course, the more, more difficult ones. And definitely sport was the vehicle for me to kind of get out of that valley, let's say, for, for lack of a better word. Uh, so definitely uh, at the beginning, I wasn't open to kind of jumping back into every single sport that I was doing. But uh, it was, I think, like a year into it that I started to think about, like, things have to change. Like, I can't kind of be just, you know waiting for things to happen. And this is when I uh, kind of uh, went online and it was the beginning of the online days and I bought my first uh, wheelchair racing chair uh, to start practicing for. I just wanted to to do a marathon in my head. And uh, so it was around 2001 that I bought my first racing chair and started to go down to the beautiful Corniche of uh, Beirut where I could train in the morning for for an hour before going to work. And uh, then in 2000, and I think three or four was the first Beirut marathon. Um, so I started to get involved in that and as a the chairperson for the uh, wheelchair division um, and started to, to, to put that with uh, the founder of the Beirut Marathon Association. Actually, I worked as a volunteer for them while I was working. And then uh, as I organize it as well I was also racing in it so (laughs) it was quite crazy to do both at the same time but uh, I just didn't want to miss on both opportunities it was it was great uh, starting to train for so the whole process of training was something you know I'm very much process driven when it comes to sports so the technical side of equipment I love getting into that so your gloves have to be very specific to wheelchair racing your seating position the equipment the wheels your carbon wheels and so forth so I love that aspect and the fact on of of waking really early just uh, you know uh, to train I like that aspect of of morning um, I, I, there's also a, a very lazy aspect of me, of course, but if there's a reason for me to wake up because it's training or something else that I'm excited to, I'm the first one to be out of bed really early. Um, so that was really, I think, uh, it keeps your kind of your, your, your focus and your mental in check. I think it helps you kind of overcome a lot. You know, we created that this, this small, um, committee for the athletes with disabilities and, uh, we had people pushing in day chairs. We had people racing in racing chairs and people doing it in, in hand bikes as well. Um, and it was great. Uh, we had turnout even from the first year from some international racers that uh, 
came to Beirut as well for the first race. We had three racers from Austria that year. Uh, and, you know, had, for the first one, we had maybe 20 uh, athletes with disabilities. So it was, it was really, really good. And at the end, after crossing the finish line, which was a very slow time, of course, and on, your, on my first one, I had to jump in, uh, and, and grab a microphone and do some interviews with other athletes that had just crossed the line as well. So it was definitely many hats uh, that day. His first marathon test would lead to more, and he would also compete over the classic distance in Paris, New York, Switzerland and Japan. The sport of golf would come later to Nile. He started a year and a half ago during Covid after being encouraged by both his brother, wife and a friend. Always both of them told me, ah, oh, you should try it, you should try it. And I was always kind of pushing it on the side. My brother would also kind of similar to, to me wake up in the mornings early when he was when I was in Beirut. He'd tell me, come, come, let's go to the golf course. We we're a bunch of friends. And then um, I'm a left-handed and my, my wife is also a left-handed golfer. And they just said, you know, this is the way you hold the club and just, you know, swing it, hit it around. And then, and then I, they're like, oh, now, you know, just get down on the grass for a bit. And then they just, you know, teed up a ball for me. And then, and then when you just hit your first ball and, and it just like hooks you. So that was it. It only needed for me to hit that one ball, I think. And then I wanted another one up on the tee. And then, yeah, when you, once you get that, uh, that small flight, uh, it just kind of captures you. And, and it's like that for every single sport or any hobby that we, we get addicted to. Hungry to hit some more buckets at the driving range. I, I think I, uh, for the first year, um, the driving range was open during COVID. And I just went and hit buckets, a load of, of balls. You know, I'd, I'd go and... Uh, I'd be back and forth at the, at the machine getting my buckets of, uh, of driving range balls. It wasn't just the new sport that was so exciting to him, but that it was opening up his mind to learning new things. There's something very true about learning something new at any age that is really important. And today, for example, I'm doing it with trying to learn German. It's, it's something that we can stick to things that we already know and perfect them, but it's really interesting to discover something completely, completely new that was kind of off the radar for you. And uh, that discovery is, I think, what is now also keeping me very motivated in, in golf because it's, it's something that I can't relate to before my accident because every single sport that I've kind of done, I'm doing as, a, as somebody with a disability, is a sport that in some way I did in some form in a different form before my accident. But golf is one that I had no experience with before my accident. And it's very kind of uh, freshening, let's say, to, to do something completely new and out of the box, let's say, for me. I think it's the difficulty of the sport. Like you, people don't, I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't have imagined how difficult it was before I started to play because it's so challenging and so such a mind game and such a game of like, the, the the small millimeters just impact such uh, have such a big impact on where the ball is going, whether you hit the ball in a certain in a certain way, and it's such a technical driven, like the 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 position of how you're standing or sitting or if you kind of like twist one thumb or you like your wrist is open or like things there's so many variables it just draws you to kind of 
trying to reach perfection where you know perfection will never be reached because it just messes with your head because it takes your mind off of so many things to think about the small details. But then at the same time, you have to also let go of these different elements because you have to kind of trust the practice at the end of the day because if you think of too many things, then you're going to mess up your shot. So it, there, there's so much to think about, but also so much to to also let loose of at the same time. Niall has so far chosen not to use a paragolfer, which helps the player to stand to the ball. He plays from his day-to-day chair. I'm not saying that this is how I'll stick to playing golf, but I play a very, let's say, unorthodox way at the moment. I currently hit sitting down, and this is the way I've, I've really tuned my, uh, my, my technique to, to play from a seated position, which is not very common in, in kind of uh, uh, people in my position. I think sitting and hitting from your day chair makes the sport more more accessible in many ways. When I go on the course, I'm pushing eight holes, uh, nine holes, sorry, in my day, day chair. So it's it's kind of a, a very physical golf because you're pushing through grass and you're pushing through uh, mud sometimes. And it's uh, like a, a six or seven K walk in in uh, wet grass is, I don't know, equivalent to pushing a chair maybe for like over 20K, I think, on on, on your regular p- pavement because, I mean, you're pushing the whole time. There's no rolling uh, kind of on the grass. Niall is currently researching his options so he can play more 18-hole golf. With his experience in the Paralympics movement, he understands how sports are all working to be more accessible and inclusive. Golf, he realises has unique challenges in terms of the structure of a course in order to be able to help, let's say, golfers in a chair more. But Niall believes that the most important elements to create change are perhaps having the will to try and to do your level best to welcome everyone through the gates of the golf club. I had reached out to a few of them and some of them were not uh, as open. You know, It's funny because they'll say no without saying no. They'll say yes, but... And because, of course, they don't want to be saying no, but yet at the same time, they're not permitting you to use uh, the greens or even some, in some cases, the fairways as well. So it's not a matter of just the putting element um, uh, without having the proper equipment. But uh, luckily, Klosterman-Hof, uh, which is right, you know, 15 minute drive from, from Bonn is, is one that's been very welcome and very encouraging whenever I'm on the golf course Tons of people just jumping and asking me questions on how things are working. Niall joined the International Paralympic Committee six years ago in Bonn, and he is now head of partnership services. He manages a team which has a very close commercial relationship with the International Olympic Committee. In recent times, all top IOC partners have become Paralympic partners. So um, managing the rights, meaning that, um, of course, for, the, um, for, for, for partners to be involved, you, of course, have to have a, a contract and an agreement in place. Uh, and that agreement has to be, of course, exercised to the fullest, whether it's their marketing rights or activation rights. Uh, today, of course, we, we work a lot with the partners on the virtual and the digital and the social media, of course. But today, working with partners is not only about uh, managing rights and delivering rights. It's, a bit, it's definitely more than that. And especially with the partners that are involved in the Paralympics, because partners that are, 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 
are, want to be associated with the Paralympics um, are ones that really truly believe in the values of uh, what we bring forward as a, as a movement. And it's really interesting to see how it, it, it goes beyond kind of just having that uh, commercial, uh, let's say, relationship with them, but truly they sense that their contribution to society um, is really important, uh, especially when it deals with matters of diversity and inclusion. Uh, but the topic of diversity and inclusion, especially with people with disabilities, is something that is, it's not a matter of it being today, uh, you know, a hot topic that is kind of something that's going to come in and out. I've, because I truly believe in a sense that we're setting new precedents today that are just going to become the norm in the future on how we deal with people with disability that have to be properly represented in across all aspects of society. With such progressive thinking in his work for the IPC, Niall's professional philosophy is all about inclusion and, importantly, the joy that sport can bring to its participants. In his personal life, he is finding that while golf clubs can still struggle with the accessibility of all players, golf is nevertheless a great game for bringing all ages together to play the game. It is also a family endeavour. One of the reasons why I love golf is because I played golf with my 10-year-old nephew and a 7-year-old niece in Cyprus when we were on holiday this summer and with my brother, all three, all four of us. I've also played with, I play with my friends who are, you know, of, of similar generation, as well as my neighbor as well here who is in his, uh, I don't want to say his name maybe, but I think around, you know, he's, let's say he's retired. And of course, my two-and-a-half-year-old son, now who who is swinging a, a seven iron so it's just i mean it just makes it so nice to to just play across age and across different uh, disabilities or no disabilities or abilities let's say and different levels it just makes it such a nice sport to kind of share with whoever nile has certainly found a new game in the last 18 months that has really challenged him but which has given him great pleasure and that precious reason to get up early in the morning. Playing good golf, surrounded by friends and family, including his young son, this is another golf marathon that is fully underway. <laughs>